This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with the App Show, Canada's number one mobile and app tech radio show across the country. I'm Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, later on, we'll be talking with our good friend Victor Lucas about the fight to save video game history. I mean, we lived through all of it, John. Yes. And so I think we have a front row seat to this. I'm fascinated to talk to Victor about this. Yeah, I think it's it's an important topic. He had a great program uh, through the 90s uh, and well into uh, you know uh, this century here as well called The Electric Playground. I used to watch that all the time. Yeah, he's still doing it on YouTube. It's fantastic content. So he's... Uh, He's also had a front row seat to all of it. He's had a VIP seat. <laughs> yeah, he really, really has. Uh, we will also be talking uh, about these hotel key card apps. Cool feature. You can have your hotel key as an app on your phone, which makes it easy to get into your hotel room. Uh, a lot of hotels are offering this. But, uh, John, uh, you recently traveled down to the U.S. and you've had some experience with this. Yes. For better and for worse. Yeah, it, it, it's... The technology is cool, but the problems depend on how you've actually done your bookings. So we're going to tell you... Yeah, it's important that you listen uh, listen to that. Uh, let's get into some of the, uh, the mobile and, and app news, uh, John. Uh, this is interesting. And we've talked about this before. Uh, a bunch of states uh, are going to be incorporating things like driver's licenses and state IDs into Apple's wallet. Or the Apple Wallet on on iPhones and iPads. I can't wait for this to come to Canada. <laughs> I can and I can't. I can just imagine like if you get pulled over by a cop and you're trying to find your driver's license on your phone. Well, it'll be the same as your Apple Pay yeah. or your Vax Passport. Yeah, which I somehow still struggle to get up <laughs> in a timely fashion. But anyway, Arizona is going to be the first state to allow this to happen. And I am looking forward to this, John. Like all the ID that we have, like in my wallet, it's just like chock-a-block thick do you, do you remember in back to the future i think it was the second one where marty's coming back from somewhere and he just has to pay for his taxi with credits and i was like how's that going to work you're not going to have a wallet you're not going to have cash all this kind of stuff but this is really where we're headed yes right and i for one can't wait for it to happen because i hate having to carry a wallet do you think john we're going to get to a point where we don't even need that anymore it's just going to be biometric like an iris scan or a fingerprint? Yeah. Well, that's what Back to Future was, was a fingerprint. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why aren't we there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> People are gross and I don't want to touch somebody else's fingerprint. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I got you. Anyway, this is something that we're going to see roll out to many more states and I hope it comes to Canada sometime soon. Uh, unfortunately, it seems to hit the states first, right? Yeah. And in just Arizona for now. Uh, also interesting uh, news here, John. Uh, YouTube is one of the biggest video sites on the internet. I'm watching that every day. There's some kind of content I'm, I'm looking for. And there's lots of great content on there, like whether you want to fix something or buy something or just watch some entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's shorts. There's like things that go on for hours. Uh, YouTube is taking on over-the-air TV with 4,000 episodes of television. Like, so they're actually going to host that up on YouTube. Well, I guess they're kind of already doing it not legitimately. A lot of people post full episodes of TV shows there. Yeah, totally. Until they get taken down. Yeah. But yeah, this is, I mean, there's so much competition in this space right now. Because think about like Roku, 
Yep. They, they're trying to be that place you go for a lot of stuff too. But having like your traditional TV shows, not, not the cable stuff, not HBO, not Netflix, but just regular stuff that you would watch on, uh, on, on a regular TV. So, I mean, these aren't like A-list titles, right? I mean, there's like Hell's Kitchen, which a lot of people like, Andromeda, which was a popular science yeah. fiction show back in the day, Heartland. Uh, I never watched that show. No, me neither. Uh, but it's a start, I guess. So the only catch is there's commercials in them, like ads that yeah, you have to watch. But we do that with traditional TV anyways. Do you get irritated, though, when ads come up like in, in YouTube? I actually purchased a subscription to YouTube right. just to get rid of that. Because it started driving me crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about that. I'm, I'm probably pretty close to doing what you did. Yeah. Um, just especially when you're watching it on a streaming service or a streaming system of some kind like that in, in your, you know, on your laptop or somewhere else, a commercial just seems very obtrusive. It does. Yeah. Like I'm used to it on TV. Yeah. But on, yeah, on a laptop or phone, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Uh, so YouTube uh, plans to keep adding 100 shows and movies each week. Other movies uh, that they have now include uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. I think that was a popular Nic- Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these aren't A-list new shows. No, but... Legally Blonde is another one. This could also be... I don't think that won an Oscar. <laughs> well, it's actually got quite a cult following. And yes. And they're actually coming out with a third one. Yeah, it's interesting. But anyway, you know what? There's a lot of free content up there now. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a Roku Smart TV or a Roku streaming sticker box they have a lot of free shows on there uh, as well i have plex which is software i use for watching my own movies and tv shows but they've got free channels like it's been great i've been watching old uh, johnny carson episodes yeah and carol Burnett. oh yeah. my god i love them yeah and it's just amazing well there's just there's so much nostalgia there like you know, yeah. we talk about the video games so it's the same with tv shows and it was funny on youtube last night i just when you get on youtube you just go down that rabbit hole right like i i was just watching old Conan shows, you know, Conan O'Brien, kind of drifted down the Johnny Carson route. There's so, like, so much of that up there. Yep. I wonder why it doesn't get taken down. I know some of them are official, like the Conan stuff is typically an official channel. Right. And the Johnny Carson stuff I don't think is. Probably not. No. no. That's what I was saying before. Like, there's a lot of unofficial content up there in in varying qualities, but I think if YouTube's behind it, this is going to be, like, quality content. Uh, this is interesting here. If you are an Apple TV subscriber, uh, but using that app on Android TV or on a Google Android phone, uh, starting now, you won't be able to actually buy or rent content through that app anymore. <laughs> it's just so strange that Google does this all the time. Well, uh, you know what I think it is, John? Uh, you know, obviously Apple has to put that app in their store, right? Yeah. And Apple's the same way. They take a 30% cut of any sale, whether that's the app itself you're buying or any of the content or in-app purchases. Yeah. There's got to be a way that they can negotiate this. Oh, yeah. Apple and Google are going to (laughs) negotiate. Well, yeah. You think? Consumer first? No? No, no. (laughs) Corporation first. Uh, So you'll still be able to watch all your content but if you want to buy or rent anything, you will have to you'll have to have some sort of Apple device to make that happen. So so if you want to watch or like buy or rent anything, you'll have to get that on an Apple device. You still be able to watch it on on your Apple Android or Google TV app, but you're still tied into the Apple Apple universe. Yeah. Which 
I think most people that are in the Apple universe or using Apple TV app are probably Apple people. But that's one of the challenges, though, of, of changing platforms. It's like, well, I don't want to leave Google because I have so much invested in stuff I bought or, or you know, rented, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, a lot more to talk about here on the App Show. Fighting to save video game history. We're going to talk also about hotel keycard apps, what to look out for. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We have a great program still going on here today. Later on, we'll be talking with Victor Lucas, uh, video game broadcast pioneer here in Canada. He's uh, been running video game TV shows since video games existed. Uh, Electric Playground uh, is uh, his... Uh, uh, big claim to fame. He's still doing a lot of stuff on YouTube uh, as well. So he's going to be talking to us about fighting to save video game history. And there's a lot of history. Yeah. So this is this is all about the, the ability to uh, archive old video game consoles and games Yeah. once those consoles and manufacturers are no longer around. Yeah. So where does things sit as far as rights? Copyrights. Copyrights and, and yeah, that kind of thing. Marks, yeah. But also the ability to even use and play these games yeah. after the fact. If the, you need an emulator, you need some hardware to do that, that kind of thing. So there's lots of interesting stuff there and a lot of preservationists are up in arms over how some companies are handling this. It's interesting, John, because you and I are really big into retro gaming. We have emulators on our computers. You've got little handheld video game consoles. I do too, that you can load these things on and play like pretty well any arcade game or video game console from the past yeah. on, especially the older ones, right? Because they didn't need much computing power no. uh, back then. And if you have a chance, check out our Get Connected radio show on our website, getconnectedmedia.com, or download uh, this weekend's podcast of that. Uh, John talked about his Vectrex uh, video game system that kind of all-in-one cool system from the 80s. And the new cart that I got for it. Yes, that has all the games on it. Yes. Which is kind of cool. Uh, let's uh, talk about our next topic here, John. Travel. Uh, you recently went on a trip down the U.S. Things are getting a lot uh, easier to go back and forth now. Um, most places are lifting their mask mandates. Uh, so it's a little more friendly to travel. Yes. So I was excited to go to Seattle because I haven't been there for a couple of years. And my girlfriend had spring break, so we booked a hotel room. Yeah. And I got an email from, I, I booked the, the hotel room through hotels.com, as I always do, to find the deals. Yes. And you get rewards for booking those rooms. And I typically use Expedia. Right. It's like, and I like them, and probably like hotels.com, because you can see all the choices. You see all the choices. What I like about hotels.com, though, is every time you stay somewhere, you earn a night once you earn, once you stay somewhere 10 times, like different places, you get a free night. Yes. So I only had to pay for one night of my hotel in Seattle instead nice, of two. Nice. Right. But a lot of people, uh, especially if you're more of a frequent traveler, um, you get tied into one of the hotel chains, right? Right. And cause you get points. Points or rewards yeah. of some kind. Yeah. And so you just book through Marriott or Hilton or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I, I booked this hotel based on proximity to where we were going to be most yes. of the time. And, and through hotels.com. Through hotels.com. And I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. And then I get an email. It was a Hilton Garden Inn. Was yes. the hotel that I booked and got a really good deal. And the hotel itself sent me an email saying, hey, we're looking forward to having you next week or whenever I got the email. Uh, you can actually turn your phone into the hotel room key and you don't even have to check in. You just go to your room and tap the door with your phone. Amazing. 
Sounds cool. <laughs> so I went through the process and I downloaded the app and it's always kind of interesting when you're trying to download an app for another country. Yeah. Cause, yes. cause sometimes it's not always as convenient for a Canadian to put stuff into something that's expecting an American address. Yeah. Like postal codes. Right. Codes. Yeah. Yeah. But Hilton was fine with that. But the gotcha that I got though, because I had booked through hotels.com, I didn't actually have a like a proper confirmation code for Hilton, which is what you need to put into the app to get the key card. Can so, you go on one of their support lines and wait for like an hour? <laughs> well, I could have. Yes. I did not. Yeah. So this is where the rub is, right? I couldn't actually use this cool feature because of the fact that I had booked through a third party. Got it. When I got to the hotel though, I found out even more sort of frustrating news that you give them all your information through these apps, right? Yeah. And they have your billing information. In, in my case, I had prepaid for the hotel room. And then when you're checking in, they had to ask me for everything again. I'm like, don't you have all this? And she's like, no, we don't. Because yeah, you bo- you know, it's privacy, right? Like privacy it, laws. Well, she told me why. The reason, that, I'm sure that's probably the reason, but the hotel, her hotel got the hotels.com information with hotels.com as my home address. This turned out to be someplace in Beijing. Really? <laughs> right, yeah. Like I thought, okay, that's weird. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they didn't have so any. So now you're a Chinese national. Apparently. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. So I had to give her all my information again, everything. She even had trouble finding me in the system because it was a third party app that had yeah. been booking. Right. So there's pros and cons to using these, these apps. And like you said, yeah, I could have called uh, support, but who's got time for that? No one. Right. It's interesting, John, because I like using Expedia for hotels because yeah. I can see all of them. Yeah. Cause I'm not locked down to like Marriott or something. Right. Maybe I should be. I don't know. I've, I've, I've thought about that. I don't know if I should be more aligned to a specific because hotel. I then think about how I book my airline travel and I've, I've learned the hard way over the years uh, to, Actually, just and it's easier with airlines, I, I think, John, because there's not a lot, especially in Canada, right? Yeah, you're either WestJet or Air Canada, right? Pretty much, yeah. So, I have found over the years if I book through a third party, if I ever want to make changes in any way, yeah, God help me, yeah, right? Because it, the, the flexibility is just not there, yeah. And if you book it straight through like Air Canada or WestJet, I mean. <laughs> Trust me, they're not as flexible either, but it's it's easier. You don't you're not jumping through a middle layer. So let's talk about that for a second. When you book a flight or when you research your flights, how are you doing that? I go to Expedia first. Okay. And just cuz that'll give me all of them. And some sometimes, you know, I can find that there's a better deal, right? A different routing or or what have you. I use Google Flights. Yeah. Cuz you have some interesting ways of searching for things. Yeah, I, I use Google Flights too sometimes. Yeah, cuz you can a find out what kind of uh, schedules these planes have. Yeah. Because if you're going somewhere maybe more remote or not a big city, you have to sort of figure out the way to get there. Yeah. And you need to make sure that all your flights line up. Yeah. So taking that a next step further, John, if if it's like a direct flight somewhere, uh, I will typically then do that research on Google Flights or Expedia and then go back to like Air Canada or WestJet. Right. However, if if I'm going on like multiple hops, no. It just Air Canada and WestJet just don't have that. Well, because they don't, 
you're not always going to get the best option for that other hop. No, they'll they'll basically book in one of their airline partners, but I find that it's not always the best deal. Like Expedia and and these others and Google Flights are still way better for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think in the future what I might do is do my research for hotels on Expedia and then book directly. But you know the problem John is a lot of times Expedia has better rates than a hotel. Yeah. Well, we we you and I have both looked at hotels and our browser histories or whatever seem to give us different numbers and we're on the same website. Yeah. <laughs> like I always feel screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean when I'm booking travel? Like I just have such anxiety about it. I've gotten really good at it. You are a master as at least with Airbnbs. Yeah. Because you've booked them all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, I know what's typically good or bad. Yeah. And how to find some of the better deals. But yeah, the hotel thing is still a thing. So you're just saying you know, if you want to use some of these features like the hotel key card app and stuff, sometimes that doesn't work if you book through a third party. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have gotten to work when I was checking at the hotel, but the whole point was I didn't have to check in at the hotel. Yeah, because sometimes you got to wait there for like 15, 20 minutes if it's busy. Yeah. And like in Vegas, for example, you know, checking in at those hotels. Yeah. Those lineups are long. They can, that can take like an hour. Yeah, it's Although, crazy. Though the crazy thing about this, <laughs> this hotel experience the woman was so flustered and so annoyed that her system was so not connected so for me. Stupid, yeah. I ended up getting four free beers. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, God. she's like, Oh, I've charged enough today. And she just like, take whatever you want out of the pantry. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You are tuned into the app show. When we come back, the fight to save video game history. Remember all those old games from the Ataris and Intellivisions, all those are old arcade games. Well, there's a fight to save that history. We're going to be talking to Victor Lucas about it back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Eggerbo here with John Beeler. We're going to go uh, back, way back now. We're talking about uh, video games and retro gaming. On the line, we've got one of our favorite guests. His name is Victor Lucas. Uh, you can catch him online. He is the video game master here in Canada. He's been uh, running Vic's Basement, Electric Playground, and a million other video game-related shows as well. Thanks for joining us, Victor. Thanks for having me, you guys. I always love doing this. Uh, okay, Victor, I'm going to ask you, what was your first video game that you fell in love with back, back way back mm. at the dawn of video uh, gaming? I think it was probably, I mean, it was in the arcade, it was Space Invaders. Yeah. And um, at home, it probably was as simple as combat for the Atari 2600. Yeah, I, I, we lived next door to uh, um, some kids that I babysat. And they had the Atari 2600, and uh, I coveted it so much. But I also had discovered video games in the arcade. There was a local, I grew up in Kitsilano in Vancouver, and there was a local pool hall that had an arcade, a uh, bunch of arcade machines in it. And um, they all blew my mind Pac Man and Space Invaders and Galaxian and Pole Position, all kinds of old classics. I, you know, I, the thing I really love about video games is one day they weren't there, and then the next day they were there, and, and then they were <laughs> it spread like wildfire. It's isn't, like isn't nobody that could even imagine. Yeah, then nobody could imagine a video game, and then poof! Now you can play things on your TV, or you can go to these places called arcades and and get lost in all of this crazy imagination. I remember the first time I saw one was in Kelowna at a Mister Submarine. Yeah, they had the the tables that you'd sit at to eat your sandwich. Yeah. And they had Pong in the table. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, that magical, right? Totally. I think the first one for me uh, was the, the, the Kmart down at Westwood Mall in Coquitlam. And I went there one time. And, and right in the entranceway there, they had Lunar Lander. And I just thought, oh, yeah. 
what is this magic? I can land my own <laughs> lunar lander on the surface of the moon. <laughs> and like it was, I, my mind was blown. Like, it, it it was magic, Mike. I mean, that's yeah, that's because the whole there, magic Mike. Because there was nothing <laughs> magic, Mike. There was because, like you said, Vic, there was nothing before. No, no. Yeah. And I, you know, my and first then, video game console, the Atari, yeah, uh, twenty six hundred, and it was funny because it had just come out, and I just thought my life would just be complete if I had that. So <laughs> I just I would not shut up to my parents, and yeah. and I got my brothers, my little brothers. They you know they didn't even know what what it was, but they I just got them to say we need this. <laughs> And so my dad came home one day and he's like, I've got a big surprise for you. And he opened it up and it was a Magnavox Odyssey. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember those? It was a video. It was he a chose comp- poorly. Oh, yes. he don't. It did. I'm like, I started crying. <laughs> yeah. I started crying. And he's like, why are you crying? I bought you. But what was, I guess, exciting about that one was that you could play video games, but it also had a full keyboard. So it was like a little computer. Yeah. But yeah. not really. No. And, but anyway, he no. returned it and bought an Atari. And so, uh. yeah, I could have gone down a dark path in life, right? <laughs> <laughs> but so we're, we're talking about uh, vintage video games now. Uh, and this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, there's been literally hundreds, if not thousands, of different video games made, you know, in the past decades. But some of them you can't get access to anymore, John. Yeah, whether it's on an old console like your Magnavox. Yes. Or it's on, a, you know, a computer that would be very difficult to emulate the processors you need to do because sometimes like even emulation is not really as good as the original no. software yeah. or hardware. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to bring Vic on to sort of get his thoughts on this notion of arcade preservation and how basically it gets really difficult and legally dangerous, like a minefield almost about whether you're actually able to run emulators. What happens to some of our favorite games that just you can't run anymore? Yeah. It's uh, it's a big topic in the video game industry. And one of the things that the video game industry is definitely guilty of is um, working quickly to, to, you know, scrub away the past, you know. Um, and part of that has been our adoption as game players of digital technology and downloading all of our software. When we had cartridges and CD-ROMs, there was an element of backwards compatibility built into a lot of hardware. So you would buy a new um, Nintendo DS, for example, and it would still play Game Boy Advance games. You would buy a Game Boy Advance from Nintendo and it would still play original Game Boy games. You'd buy a PlayStation 2 from Sony and it would still play PlayStation 1 games. But a couple things happened. One of them is the internet really took over as a a distribution mechanism for video games, but um, also the technology in games just became increasingly more complicated. And uh, I think the bets on these games became bigger and bigger for these companies. And so there was this, and remains to this day, this real emphasis on um, getting back the revenue on the new titles as opposed to trying to resell the previous libraries. There, there is this kind of extinction event, I think, that that people think, or the, this sort of sell-by date kind of idea with a lot of classic software titles. But what now has happened is that there have been decades, at least a decade of uh, uh, digital-only uh, titles that have been sold for consoles like the Nintendo 3DS or the Wii or the Wii U or um, Xbox 360, all of the machines 
have a an extinct library, let's call it that way, where you cannot go and purchase those games anymore because they were only available digitally on some archaic digital storefront that the stakeholders have subsequently turned off. And that is happening again and again. And so what's happening is a lot of these works of art are no longer purchasable, uh, in some cases, no longer re-downloadable if you own them and also have some of that legacy hardware. Um, and uh, there's just no legal way to find and play these titles. And so the, the games industry really needs to figure that out. Is it that hard to figure out, though, Vic? Because um, there's all these emulators. And emulators are these software programs that can pretend to be like an old Nintendo or like an arcade machine or PlayStation that are available on the internet. And then you can, you know, if you're clever enough, you can go find the, the games, they call them ROMs out there. Like if just regular developers and people can make these emulators, can't the big game companies do the same thing for their PlayStations sure and, uh, yes. and Xboxes and like, and just make all those games available? Like, Well, like Nintendo has their online subscription service yeah. that comes mm-hmm. with sort of a virtual console. And it's, it's still a curated list of games that they've allowed and they keep saying they're going to add more and more. But, you know, if I was young Mike in my, you know, at at the mall getting that particular title that I spent tens of hundreds of hours, if not more time playing and mastering, but I can't play that game anymore. That would be really frustrating if it's not available from the nostalgia. Yeah. But why don't they just make it available? Like Nintendo, there's some titles that you can't get anymore. Why don't they just have that you know the call it the the vintage library and you can buy these games the digital versions they've, for five bucks they've tried that before the virtual console was a very um, important program at nintendo and it worked across the 3ds and the wii and the wii u where you could buy back catalog software uh but they have since scrubbed that and people are moving like with xbox and game pass and nintendo switch online and playstation's about to launch a competitor to game pass they're definitely moving more into the netflix subscription model where back catalog content becomes important but it is curated as john said so it isn't you know you don't get to cherry pick anything that you want out of this huge menu it's all sort of chosen for you but 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 there are other alternatives now there are like the pieces of hardware out there that will new hardware that will play classic cartridges and the collector market around old classic cartridges has exploded a little bit in a ridiculous sense, but there is this opportunity to um, make new business out of these classic games. 100%. One of the biggest announcements of this year so far has been the teenage mutant Ninja turtles, Kawabunga collection, which includes uh, 13 games from the arcade, 8-bit and 16-bit days of Turtles games. And that is coming out new. It's being developed by a company called Digital Eclipse, and it's going to be available for PlayStation 5 and Switch and Xbox and PC. It was the best thing that PlayStation showed off in a recent uh, state of play <laughs> thing. that they did. And it's these old 8-bit yeah. games, and, and the whole internet went, what? Oh, my God, we all want this. So the appetite is there. It's incumbent on these hardware manufacturers to figure this out. Otherwise, yes, more and more illegal, you know, in quotations, emulation is going to continue to happen. And that just seems crazy to me. We're talking with Victor Lucas all about uh, vintage video games, uh, not always available, uh, but in a changing landscape with a lot of these companies going subscription now. I don't know if it's going to get any 
better any time soon. And this is a, a discussion we could spend literally hours on, but we're going to have to take a break. Sure. Victor, I, I want to keep you on the line because I want to fast forward now to now and the future of video gaming. You've got a cool new console that we're going to talk about. We'll be back after this. You're back with the program. Mike Eggerbo here with John Beeler. We're talking with Victor Lucas, uh, one of Canada's uh, video game darlings. Uh, he's uh, been on air in so many different ways, TV, radio, online. Uh, Vic, where can they find you now? Um, m- most of my content is kind of housed at, on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash EPNTV. And I, t- I stream uh, quite a bit, stream live shows on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash EPN. Okay, so we talked about... Uh, kind of more of the history of video gaming. Now we're going to fast forward to some exciting things happening now. You know, a lot of people are, you know, even if they're not into video gaming, they've heard of Xboxes and Playstations and Nintendo Switches and, you know, Game Boys and that. You've got a, a new handheld video gaming device that a lot of hardcore gamers are, like, just drooling to get their hands on called uh, the Steam Deck. Yes, I do. I got that right, right? You didn't sound confident about (laughs) the name. (laughs) It's an an odd name, the Steam Deck. Um, But it's tough to name these things in a way that's going to catch with everybody. Um, But suffice to say, this is a really impressive piece of technology from Valve, who has increasingly gone into the hardware business. They've created some VR technology, some controller technology. They uh, have done the... uh, uh, like a, a streaming piece of tech where you can stream from your PC to some other uh, device that will plug into your television set. But this is their first handheld and it is a handheld gaming system, but it's also a full on handheld PC. You can plug in a keyboard and a mouse. You can plug it into a monitor and it will operate very well as a PC. You can install windows on it, but it's a Linux based um, device out of the box with an emphasis on, um, you know, getting you into the steam store, hence the name, the valve steam store. And the store is populated by tens of thousands of games at this point. You know, it's, it's probably one of the most proliferate um, purveyors of game technology and game uh, content in the world. And so that store is limitless and it's endless. And what they've effectively done here is they've made the, the experience of uh, logging onto their store quite homogenous. Um, whereas with a lot of um, PCs that p- people create game games for, they kind of have to spec it out in different ways, not knowing what the end user is going to be playing. Right. So valve has simplified all of that. Everybody has kind of the same specs in the steam deck when they log in and they've done a really good job at, at, um, figuring out how to get these AAA massive video game experiences to run quite well on the Steam Deck. And most recently, and I think most famously, is Elden Ring, which is one of the best games of 2022. It's not, you know, state of the art on the Steam Deck, but it runs incredibly well in the palm of your hands. It's really, really impressive. So this thing looks like a Nintendo Switch handheld, but beefier, definitely. How big is the screen on it? Do you know offhand? It's a seven-inch screen, wow. and it's a 1280 by 800 resolution. So it's not, you know, like uh, leaps and bounds in terms of 
um, you know, sparkling fidelity or anything comparative, especially to the Nintendo Switch OLED. But what it, the, the story is the AMD, AMD uh, processor that's in there. It's an integrated processor, graphics and, and CPU. And it's just really efficient. They've also onboarded some um, uh, really incredible technology, like you can uh, press a button and you can see the frame rates on the games that you're playing. They have the, uh, uh, what's it called? The FSR, AMD's FSR technology, which um, basically uses an algorithm to kind of clean everything up and sharpen the edges so you can kind of scale games up so you can play at a lower resolution, but it will scale up through the algorithm and it'll look even sharper. A lot of this stuff, I think, is uh, central to, for the amount of processing power that's in this tiny PC, but it's also in an effort to save on battery life because you can imagine some of these more intensive 3D games will chew through the battery on the Steam Deck quite quickly. But it's incredibly flexible. And because of all of the... Uh, you know, the software that's embedded within Steam, but the new developments that are happening every day, it's an amazing piece of technology. Uh, Victor, uh, you know, hopefully you will have uh, some uh, reviews up on your site and we just got one minute left here. Like what, what's the pricing like on this? Well, they have three different models and uh, the, so the Mama Bear price, I think, which in Canada uh, was about six fifty nine. Um, I don't know what the U.S. prices are, but so you can get them with an M2, um, uh, an SSD built into the machine. And then, so the pricing is kind of staggered based on how much memory storage you have. The top of the line one also has a um, anti-glare, anti-reflective screen on it as well, glass screen. Uh, but it's it's the same technology all the way through. And of course, you can plug in an SD card, a micro SD card, and, and put in all kinds of software on this thing. I've been playing it nonstop since I got it, and I've been super impressed. And yes, I do have a review of the Steam Deck on our website, on our YouTube channel. Victor, as always, I want to thank you for joining us, and we'll have to have you on again soon and, and more time because you could just fill up like five episodes uh, <laughs> of fun here. I, I, I do talk about this stuff quite a bit. Yeah, Thanks for having me, you guys. You're very passionate. <laughs> we are going to have to take another break here. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the program. Mike and John here. Don't forget to check out our sister show. It is on every Saturday across the country from Vancouver to Toronto. Uh, called Get Connected, and uh, you can find out more information at our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Up there, we have uh, links to the podcasts of both the programs, and we've got tons of great videos happening uh, as well. Lots of great uh, reviews, including some of the uh, the new Apple stuff uh, that's just been released as well, including the, uh, the iPad Air. A uh, beautiful new iPad. Uh, Robin, one of our uh, contributors, has uh, done a great video on that, so you should check it out. And uh, we also have all the latest tips and tricks when it comes to uh, tech. And uh, we have uh, a lot of contests going on as well. So uh, stay tuned uh, for more of those uh, coming uh, your way. I want to thank all the folks that helped put uh, the show together. Of course, John, uh, my co-host here and producer, and uh, Robin uh, as well, who makes it all happen too. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.